So there's something about somebody having an encounter or an experience with God, obviously, that changes their life. But oftentimes, when somebody is encountering God, it changes other people's lives, doesn't it? I would imagine that many people in this room, um, your experience with God probably didn't start with a dream or a, a manifestation of God outside of the context of anybody else. But probably for most of us, our encounter with God started because we saw God or heard about God in somebody else's life. And through their lives, through their experience, through their, their, their encounter with God, our lives were transformed. I'm reminded of that uh, as we look at Scripture, the whole Acts 2.42 passage where um, the disciples were praying and, and, and worshiping God in the upper room in Jerusalem. And in the Spirit of God, um, it, the way that it describes it in Acts, descends upon these disciples and there is this overwhelming encounter with the presence of God, but also this glorious praising and worshiping of God all at one time. What happened? What happened when that happened? There was such a great noise and such a great commotion, commotion and probably there was word on the street, there's something really wild happening over here that people rushed from all over the city to see what was going on. And when they saw and experienced the presence of God in the disciples' lives and heard the testimony of who God was and who Jesus was, that He was the Savior of all mankind, what happened? It says in the Scripture that 3,000 people got saved. 3,000 people put their faith in Christ Jesus, not because they had actually literally met Jesus, they weren't the ones that saw him in the manger. And many of them, because they were from countries all um, around that region in the world, many of them had not ever even seen Jesus alive. Maybe some of them had or heard about it. But they heard and saw the testimony of God in the lives of these before them. And they, in turn, received that message. And as the scripture says, were born again. And their lives were transformed and changed. I remember when I was in college... Um, I remember distinctly one night studying um, um, early, like maybe one o'clock in the morning early. That was a joke. And um, <laughs> I was, I was uh, studying, and there was this buzz going on uh, that, that came through the dorms that there was something going on at the basketball arena. There had been a revival at the basketball arena. Of course, many of us had not gone because revival was like just a term for a week long of services. It wasn't like it was normally revival. It was just church that was promoted as revival. Everybody understand what I'm talking about? We're going to have revival this week, you know? Well, okay, we're going to have services. But actually what happened was revival did happen. And they'd had a service in something, um, somebody um, had an intimate encounter with the Lord and they started to proclaim what God was doing in their life, and they started to re repent of their sin in the ways in which they had not been following God, and they confessed boldly and excitedly how they wanted to pursue Jesus. And guess what happened? Somebody else stood up and said, I, wanna, I want Jesus. And they came to the mic, and they started repenting, and then they put their faith in Jesus. And then another person said, that's what I want. And then people started crying and weeping throughout the auditorium. And then people left the auditorium, and they started going back to the campus and saying, there's something going on at Pharaoh Center. And guess what happened? 
all of us started running to the Pharaoh Center. And before we knew it, there were observers and there were participants. And then the observers became participants in four weeks. Jesus was getting a hold in revealing himself to student after student throughout the campus because something started in somebody who saw Jesus. Jesus was revealed to them in a way that they had never experienced before. And that encounter with God rippled through other people's lives. We come and we see, we hear, and then when we experience God, Hopefully that experience of understanding that revelation takes on a whole nother life of itself because it impacts other people's lives. I want to invite Keith and Tanya up. As I thought about this, this service, I thought about who, who do I know? And there could have been a lot of people that could be up here, but who are, who are some people that I know that not only have heard about Jesus and who through their own testimony have seen and experienced Jesus, but whose lives have actually impacted others and continue to do so. And I thought about Keith and Tanya. So I wanted them to share just a little bit of their story or their testimony about how they came and saw Christ. So uh, like Sean said, I'm Keith and this is Tanya. We've um, been with the river since it started. We were at CFCF for um, several years before that. Uh, And we have three young children of our own And just as we get started, um, as we reflected and prayed about our story, how we came, um, that we, how we heard and came to Christ and saw that he was good and what have we done about it, um, the more we thought about it, the more I I just kept coming back to to that word. Uh, Our whole story is just, it's been Emmanuel, God is with us. And we can take no credit. So just as we share, just keep that in mind, that as we've humbly tried to obey, it's just been God with us the whole, the whole way along the journey. Um, so our story, um, my story with Christ starts probably about eight or nine years ago. Tanya, a few years earlier, I was at, um, studying at Bentley, um, studying business, which was absolutely not what God made me to do. Um, I, was, I was very confused. I was very, very lost in, in so many ways. And this is a whole long story in and of itself, but in a summary, in, and I'm so happy to share more later, but in a very miraculous way, um, I saw that, um, that God is real and that he loves me, um, regardless of the situation I was in, who I was um, back then, uh, regardless of everything, oh my gosh, he's real and he loves me, and he stepped into my world before I stepped into his and, and everything changed in a moment. And the first thing that I did was I had to I put my course towards what I know he had made me to do, which was to work with children. I knew that, that there was a gifting and a call in my life to do that. Um, so I began the, processing, uh, the process of transferring colleges, transferring to Wheelock, um, as just, like I said, just trying to be obedient. And looking back, I was like, oh, my gosh, it was God with me the whole time. I was like, so just trying to be obedient, transferring um, to a school where I could study what he actually made me to do. And lo and behold, when I arrived there, my tour guide was Tanya. Um, uh, and and I, I instantly, I, she didn't say anything. I just instantly knew that I was like, whatever I'm looking for, because I, I knew nothing of Christ. I just knew that, that God was real and he loved me. 
um, I knew instantly that what I was looking for was in her. And I was like, she's got it. So after, um, you know, I, I, I asked her, I was like, obviously, you have what I'm looking for. Help me out. And she pointed me very simply. She said, go check out Romans 8. And um, so I went and, and read Romans 8 that first day. And things just started coming alive off the page because I knew that God was real and I knew that he loved me. And I was like, what, what do I do now? I had, I had heard and I had seen a little bit of, oh, my gosh, he's good. And, um, and it, it, the words came alive to me. Things started changing. Day two, I read Romans 9. Um, you know, day three, Romans 10. And, uh, and every day, things were changing exponentially. And then I got to um, Romans 12. And... Um, Romans 12, uh, I've stumbled upon this verse, um, and, and this is where things really came alive for me. It said, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I... I, I was stuck on this first. I was like, a, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, that my life could be a living sacrifice? I was like, what, what does this mean? And, and what do I do with it? Um, and at the time, I was a teacher's aide at a preschool in the medical area. Nothing pretty. Washing toys, folding the rest blankets, putting out, putting out toys on tables sometimes. But I, I read this verse, and I went there, and Something was totally different. How I was folding the blanket or washing the toy, things, all of a sudden it was, you know, like, Lord, how do I make myself a living sacrifice? And now how do I fold a blanket? You know, it was just different, and it was Emmanuel, God is with me, because there was this act of worship in the everyday things that, that we were doing. And that has been something that's guided our whole life, that um, the decisions we make, we continually are going back to, what is this living act of worship? Now that we've seen and heard and we know that he's good, how is our life an act of worship for the Lord? And, it, and the more that we've sought his will and we, we try and do the little things, and not that it's always pretty, but we're trying to, to do it, we feel his pleasure and we feel his joy over us as we have this living act of worship. And it's, um, it, it's just been a very guiding thing that, from the start, I think it was day five, trying to follow the Lord, that it, it changed everything in my world, in our world. Yeah, and like you said, this has not been like a seasonal truth for us. Like I, in college, this really affected us, but like this is in our every day of three kids in three years. We're like cleaning out potties and changing diapers, but we're like there is um, the pleasure of God is with us as our bodies are worshiping him. Um, in that, and I think the shift came of it's not meeting God on a Sunday, it's not meeting God once a day, it's just that he is with us in in all of these moments, and um, has really, we've been able to like put ourselves down before him so that he, um, his presence is, has gone before us and led us to that, so I think this is going to be jumpy, but um, we kind of, yeah, so then that was from college, but I would love to share kind of like where that's brought us. 
Um, so, yeah, in college, uh, things were, um, we got plugged into a faith group that was experiencing all of these things, too. And it was, like Sean was talking about, with, um, with I mean, maybe not everybody is flocking into our faith group, but we became a group of people that were hungry for God. We were experiencing, we had seen that he was good. And, uh, uh, I mean, one of two things were happening. People were saying, oh, that's the crazy group. I don't know, what the, the, I don't know who they are, but they're going to try and pray for you. But people were coming. People who were hungry were coming, and they wanted to come and see and hear because there was something that had changed in us and um, in this group of college students that, that we, we wanted more of God, and we wanted all that he had for us. Um, so uh, after um, we got married, right after I finished college, which was also another one of those moments where we were like, okay, God, we feel like this is what you're, you're asking us to do. It didn't always make sense, but we wanted to be obedient be that living sacrifice um, uh, uh, and, and live what he was calling us to. Um, and and it, it really was God with us through the whole journey. Our living situation our first year was miraculous. And then we ended up living with the Richmonds for a while, which also felt miraculous that they, they would welcome us in. <laughs> um, and, and then uh, through another miracle, um, as we were, the river was starting, we were able to move into a condo here in Watertown, which is a whole other crazy story. Um, and, and then my working situation um, over here in Newton was also, uh, like, as we've looked back, we could have not written our own story. It's just been that, that as we've tried to be obedient to God, it's been Emmanuel, God is with us, that we came and saw that he was good, and he's never left us. Uh, my, the, the place where I'm working now, um, they called me and asked me an interview, and I looked up the school, I was like, I don't want to work there. So, but I went for the interview, and I was like, well, this is a great chance to share Christ with a lot of people. So I had um, uh, back-to-back 20-minute interviews with about 10 people throughout the school, and I was like, great, I'm going to have to tell so many people about Jesus today. <laughs> so, and I did. I, at the interview, I, I got to share with them who Christ was to me, and this is why I teach, because it's everything about who I am. And um, all the way from the headmaster down through the kindergarten teachers that I met with that day, I got to share my story with them. And I left that day thinking, Great, I didn't get a job, but <laughs> but a lot of people heard about Jesus today. <laughs> um, and when they called me back and said, we'd love to offer you the position, I was like, oh my gosh, God, what are you doing? <laughs> so then I had to rethink about this school, and, and God made it very clear that, that regardless of what, um, what our plans were, he had different plans for us. So now, that was four years ago, I've been teaching there for four years, and then now we live on campus, that was just two years ago, that the school invited us um, to be part of the residential staff. Um, uh, so now I'm, we're teaching. We have dorm um, students, um, part of our dorm family, 19 boys from around the world that we help take care of, three children of our own. And, uh, and it really is, for the first time, having met Christ about eight years ago now, that there are things that he spoke to both of us when we were getting married that uh, I was like, okay, God, that seems crazy, you know, like, you know, like, I was here in college, people were praying for me and saying, God has made you to be a father to many. And I was like, great. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but if for the first time, not of our own doing, but simply because of being where he's placed us to be and trying to be obedient and proclaiming his goodness in the midst of it, um, we can look back and go, oh, my gosh, not what we have done, but look what God is doing. And it, it's been uh, a phenomenal yeah, and it, like he said, it's just been like 
okay, God, um, like him putting us in places of as we submit to him, he's placing us in places for us to worship and proclaim to people. So we worked at this school. We live at this school. Our kids are a part of it. The dorm boys are a part of our family. And then in this past summer, um, I used to work at Children's Hospital. They had called me saying there was a part-time position in the emergency department. Kind of the same thing. We were like, I don't know, but God really opened that door. Kind of the same thing of like, we are called to love kids. We are uh, like called to be in this medical environment, called to love orphans. And here they are. Like you get to walk in these rooms and literally care for them and impact um, the in them in the, in the spiritual of like praying for them. And so it's just been um, one thing after the next that God's just put before us not because we've strived for it or looked for these jobs or found a perfect school that would be a good fit for us, but um, God's just put us in those places. And as we were, like, looking to talk today, we one of the best definitions of worship that we like is, um, it's from, like, an old, old version of Webster's Dictionary, but it says, worship is to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. And I feel like that's all we've done is we're, like, We've come to Jesus and said, wow, look what he's done in our love. His love for us is extravagant, and our response is to be nothing else but to love him and submit it to him. So our journey with God has been nothing but, like, sacrificing what we think and just submitting to him, and his plans have been far better. I'm like, wow, the course we would have planned for ourselves would have, who knows where, but look where God's put us. It's been clear that um, he's put us in these places of authority in the kingdom um, and not us. And um, and then even just to be vulnerable with you all, like Sean said, um, our goal is to encounter God, and then our encounters with God lead others to encounters with God. Um, we just feel like the next thing that God has on our hearts, which we're like, this is a um, nerve-wracking thing to even say because there's a lot in our flesh that could, this doesn't fit my list of what I want on my list, but um, for my for like my family, but again, it's we know God has been faithful, and we just really have felt this call um, on of God for our family to foster or adopt um, kids and babies through the state. And so we're starting this new process and looking at what this looks like. So some of this was stories of like, look what God's done, and we can say He's faithful. And right now we're in the midst of like, we don't know what this will look like, and I don't know if we're gonna have kids that will leave. We don't know what this will look like for our own biological kids. Like I don't know what the birth. There's, like, lists and lists of what's going to go on. But um, we decided, like, this is very risky in the world. But for us, the biggest risk we could take is walking outside of God's blessing. Like, we can't not walk in the midst of where he's calling us because that's that's that's, that's too risky for me. Um, and so, like Keith said earlier, like, it's not pretty, and I don't want us to be like, oh, wow, look, they can do all these things. Like, um it, like we were just writing this the, like yesterday and it was last week we started looking at all the paperwork for like what does this look like if we were going to actually foster and we have all these like okay let's look at what this would look like and one kid was sleeping another was upstairs playing with a baby Emmett was eating a snack like okay great we got a couple minutes let's look at these papers then Sheila's waking up she's screaming something happened with Belle's baby doll I think the dog like took the diaper off so she's upset and Emmett like yogurt fell down and we're like okay so wait we're um, what do you think about when should we do these? And they were like, look at our life. Like, what are we? <laughs> this is not a pretty situation. Like, this is not. Um, but there's nothing that has got that God's brought us through that's making us think he's not going to provide in this. Like, we need to continue to live in this act of worship, of submission to him, 
because I know that he's worthy and I know that his plan is better than ours and that he's with us, that he's Emmanuel. Um, so. Yeah, just like Tanya was saying, we're, um, we can look back on a lot of our story that we shared and, and we can say now, wow, Emmanuel, it was God with us the whole time. Um, but a lot of it was scary back then, like we were, when we were getting married and, you know, how our living situation and job situations and everything seems scary. We can look back and say, wow, he was with us. But now we're standing at the front of a, a new mountain, which seems really intimidating. What does it look like to, to have foster children, children with, with hurt and need, which is really intimidating. But we can look back at, at what we have seen and what we've, um, what we've heard of Christ, what we've seen of who he is, and we've seen how faithful he is, and we can stand and say, okay, God is going to be with us. It was Emmanuel then. Is he Emmanuel now? So, yeah. So, thank you. That's our story. <laughs> Did you have something else? No. Okay. <laughs> we didn't I'll, just, I'll just keep crying was, if I share anything. If it was so good, I don't want to clap you off the stage. No, no. We're good. Remind me. Remind me again, Tanya, of that Webster's definition of worship. Worship is to honor Worship is to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. That'll preach. And what's beautiful about that being an impactful definition to you guys is that you live it. You live it. And we want to live that definition, don't we? We want to live with extravagance and in love of God. And we want to live with radical obedience and submission to who He is, not because it's some austere, hard, terrible journey. What I love about Keith and Tanya's journey as I've walked with them um, is that it's just one one wonderful fulfillment of God's purposes after another. One one joyful story and wow, look what God gets we get to do with God. Um, he really he kind of went really quickly through some of the highlights of their story, but you really do need to hear about their apartment story and their, their different stories because God is a good friend of the Fortiers. And isn't he a good friend of all of ours? Amen. Right? So I, I love what Keith said when he got up to share. He said, hey, this, this is our story, but it's all of our stories. Um, and, you know, I can humbly say God has done this in my life, but I know that Keith would say, and he might have even said it, I know he wants to do that in all of your lives too. And it only gets exponentially fun when we can't, we don't have enough time to hear everybody's stories of how he's doing these similar things with all of us. And isn't it true that that's what he wants to do? He wants to do that with us. He wants to impact our lives in such a way that when we see and experience him, our life changes. Our life changes. What did the shepherds do? They, they went, they heard of the angel's story. They went and saw... Um, they experienced Christ, and then they left the manger, and they went and told people about Jesus. Um, 
Tanya, you're free to go. I know that Tanya has to leave. Everybody let Tanya leave gracefully. She said, I can share, but I've got to leave at 1110. So awesome. Go for it. Um, Then they went and they shared and they proclaimed about the Lord. When we see Jesus, we're changed, and we can't help but tell others about it. Some of you in the room might be here today because somebody in your life, I mean, like you literally might have come today for the first time because somebody in your life is is so enamored or taken by Jesus that they said, would you come to our church today? Sometimes that happens. Sometimes that happens through you, right? Sometimes we are thinking about our neighbors or our friends, our family, and we say, man, I want you to know this friend that I have, who's Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to live that way in your life. It could be that you just invite somebody to something like this or to a Christmas Eve service. By the way, you've got Christmas Eve um, invitations in your chairs um, and around you. So if you got one and you need two or three, take those before you leave today. And it's got information on both sides. Make sure you look on both sides for information on both sides. But you can invite people to, to, to events or services that talk about Jesus, but even better than that, do that. But even better than that is that you would be so in love on a regular basis with God that people are invited to God through your life. That people say, wow, I was just with Angela. That's Jesus. Right? Oh, Yeah. That I just hung out with Brian, and man, I want to love God more. And that can only, that happens to the extent that we are really friends with Jesus, right? So maybe you need to carol around your neighborhood this, this year. I'm, I'm, I'm not joking. Everybody's like, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. No, we, one of our favorite traditions at the Richmond household is that we carol around our neighborhood. And one of the reasons we like to do it is because we like to sing. That's a given. And we like to sing Christmas carols. That's true as well. But you know what we found? Not, nobody carols anymore, right? And so when we go up to doors and carol, first of all, they're like shocked Second, they look through the peephole and make sure that we're normal. Sometimes it takes at least three verses for the door to open. Sometimes we see the curtain open and they don't open the door. But oftentimes they'll open the door and not only are they, do they love the carols, but many times there will be tears coming down their face. Because we, we, we do do, you know, uh, we do throw in the Feliz Navidad and those kind of, but we are, but we're, it's the hymns, it's the carols, it's the story of Jesus that people are connecting with. And we've had so many opportunities to talk about God and pray for people, have real moments of encounters with God through caroling. So maybe you could do that this year. If you, want, if you don't know if you can pull it off, you can come to the Richmonds. We'll let you know when we're caroling. If you just come up and say you want to carol, we'll carol again. We love it. <laughs> just knock on our door and say, hey, want to carol? All right, kids, let's go. Some church folks here that want to carol. Might have a party. Might, have, might invite somebody to your house. Uh, we haven't done this every year just because of, of, 
of life and busyness. We've, we've wanted to, but there's times where we just throw block parties at Christmas and invite people into our home. What do they get when they come into our home? They get love. They, get, they, they, they experience something they don't know how to put their finger on. They might see a scripture or a different thing around. And conversations emerge about our lives. It doesn't take long for Jesus to enter the conversation. Maybe that's something that you or maybe your faith group could do together to invite the presence of God into this world. We're reminded in this season of who Jesus is partly because we know that the world needs Jesus, right? We should be thinking about that. I have a good friend of ours who they have experienced some theft at their house. Um, there's been somebody, there had been somebody who had come two or three times and stolen their bikes that were parked in their driveway. And after the third time, they said, well, we're going to have to get a camera and catch this person. So they hooked up a camera, and sure enough, a couple of days ago, they caught the criminal coming again to steal something else out of their driveway. And as I was talking to this person, you know, the world would go, yeah, we got him. You know, it's like catching a fish. You know, yeah, we got that criminal. Going to make him pay for stealing our kids' bikes, you know, or our stuff. This person was like, man, I'm so glad that we caught them because I want to meet them. And I want to I see their life changed. I want them to encounter Jesus. So we're going to meet him at the courthouse. We're the family you've been stealing from. <laughs> tell us your story. Are you sorry? Well, let me tell you something. I was sorry once, and Jesus changed my life. Come on. That's Christmas. This refugee crisis, can I just give you a little political commentary? Everybody got nervous. <laughs> we have one of the most profound things happening in our world that's ever happened, you know, since World War II. Of millions of people in a place of looking for hope and answers. But most of them come from areas of the world where they can't hear about Jesus. As a matter of fact, not only do they, can they not hear about Jesus, but if Jesus is ever even mentioned, it's in a derogatory you know, way. And now we have all of these people that not only have needs, that just in and of itself, if we, if we were to give based on the need to express the love of God to the world, but we have the opportunity to clearly proclaim Jesus in the name of Jesus, to give and to serve and to love people. Shouldn't we do that? And shouldn't we be in a place where we go, oh, I can't believe they're, they're going to, you know, we got to be scared and lock our doors and something terrible is going to happen. You know what? Terrible things happen in the world all the time anyway. And we don't live like that. Why would we live like that now? But we should live with the thought that we have the opportunity to reveal Jesus in a way that millions have never seen before by loving and serving them, maybe even in the midst 
of their evil plans, one out of a million of them. Right? God, give us an opportunity to be the hands and the feet and the voice and the heart and the love of Jesus in this season. And I don't take it lightly. We are in a wicked, evil world. And there's evil things that are going on that have touched maybe your life in this very topic that potentially could touch all of our lives. And we, as the scripture says, we live as shrewd as serpents, but as innocent as doves. We're aware and we're, we're watching and we're careful and we're concerned, but we're also innocently pure in our hearts and believing and hoping the best for every person that we come in contact with. Wouldn't that be the way that you'd want somebody to treat you? Right? Oh, no, you have a certain skin color. You're from a certain area. I've got to be careful around you. Is that Jesus? God forbid that someone would treat me like that. May we extend with our heart and our love the goodness and the kindness and the faith and the hope of Jesus in this season. And go. 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 Paul said, Paul clearly framed it this way as we conclude, and Ben, come on up as we conclude our service. Paul says this, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Wait, wait, keep that up there for me. Isn't that amazing? Is that our, is that our opportunity to tell others the good news about the wonderful grace of Jesus? You say, oh, no, 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 Sean. That was Paul. That was Paul's assignment. Paul was talking about his assignment. Well, our assignment is just the same, isn't it? To go, Matthew 28 said, Colossians 1.27. Paul says this, and this is the secret. Christ lives in you. Christ lives in you. Everybody say, Christ lives in me. If you're a believer in Jesus, Jesus lives in me. Say, hello, Jesus. Welcome, Jesus. What do you want to do today, Jesus? Don't do too much, Jesus. Okay, do whatever you want, Jesus. He lives in you too late. He's not living over there. He's not living in your neighbor's life saying, oh, well, Jesus lives in you. Go do something. Jesus lives in me. And he's propelling me. He wants to get in, not only change my life. See, we like it when Jesus lives, us, lives in us and does some really good things in us, don't we? I like it that you're healing me, making me happy, giving me things. We get anxious when Jesus said, okay, I've done enough work in your house for today. I'd like to do some work in somebody else's house today. Come with me. Jesus is in you as believers, whether you like it or not. So, verse 28, this gives you assurance of sharing His glory. Verse 28, so we tell others about Christ, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all the wisdom that God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in the relationship with Christ. Is that true about you? Jesus is in you, and He wants to reconcile people to Jesus, and He wants to present Jesus Himself to other people. And so we allow Him to do that in our life. I pray that you may be active in sharing of your faith so that you may have a full understanding of every good thing 